Welcome back for another episode of The Break Room. On today's show, we're examining Medicare Advantage from both the clinical and administrative sides to better understand what independent practices need to thrive in these innovative, rewarding plans. According to data from the Kaiser Family Foundation, enrollment in Medicare Advantage, or MA, plans has more than doubled over the past decade. This growing popularity is due, in part, to the plan's value-based models, which prioritize flexibility, community orientation, provider resources, and quality measures. Our guests today are Dr. Raymond Blair Jr., a Privia-affiliated family physician in the Dallas Metroplex area, and Amy Atkins, who is a Regional Vice President for Value-Based Initiatives with Privia Health. I hope you enjoy today's show. Thank you both, uh, Dr. Blair and Amy, for coming on the podcast today. Uh, We are thrilled and grateful to have you. Uh, I read recently that Medicare Advantage enrollment has doubled over the past decade. Uh, So I'm curious, what does this trend tell us about healthcare, and how must healthcare and providers adapt to fit these changes? I think that it tells us that it works. The proof is kind of in the pudding. Uh, Over time, it has just grown because whenever you uh, pair the the patient outcome uh, to uh, physician pay and 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 all productivity goes up and uh, we end up where we're at today where we're ready to move it forward and expand it farther especially um, as you see these advertisements during open enrollment the benefit package for the patients has really expanded over the last several years Um, Many of the plans offer additional benefits such as like medication assistance programs or disease management supports for chronic conditions. And as they continue to add these bonuses for the patients, it just becomes more of a value to them. So it drives a lot of patients to lean towards Medicare Advantage. The flip side is I think the providers also get some advantage out of it because they get to see um, the benefit of taking better care of their patient getting rewarded financially for taking that better care of the patient. So I think it's win-win on both sides of the fact, both sides. Can you please tell me about uh, some of the challenges physicians face when growing and caring for their MA patient population? Uh, what do physicians need to, uh, to thrive in these MA contracts? So I think uh, one of the biggest things is just learning how to be productive in the MA world. Uh, And it's a pretty steep learning curve, but it's certainly worthwhile. It's a total change in the way that we have to think uh, about practice, ultimately. Kind of, if you want to think of it, rather than coming in uh, in in the fee-for-service way of thinking only, where you you show up to clinic every day and, and your schedule is basically a list of problems to solve or fires to put out all day long. You end up being in, in that mode of thinking. Um, you show up every day, you've got a, a, an inordinately long list of things to, to try to solve and, and you just go one to the next and, and struggle to get it all done. And, and you're trained to do that. And, and so that's what you do. Whenever you move over to uh, it, it, the MA world where we're thinking about uh, population health and um, patient outcomes, uh, we kind of have to retrain the way that we think. Instead, we, we wake up in the morning and we think about our population. Um, we think about uh, where we can make the most difference for all of our patients. And we hopefully we have the right uh, information and, and access to the right information so that we 
can uh, kind of direct our energies um, where it's most useful and really make big impacts to our patients. So, um, so anyway, the, the challenges are, are just learning, um, changing the way that we uh, think about medicine and think about what we do as physicians every single day um, and, while still taking care of our patients. And, um, and change is tough for anybody. So I think at, at the very beginning, uh, as I kind of got into this, um, it, it was tough. Uh, it was exciting, but it, it's, it's tough to, to change. And so I think um, change is probably the biggest thing, but it's, it's so uh, cool to get involved in. I find one of the biggest uh, challenges for caring for this population, too, is that um, all the different moving pieces and factors and all the amount of data and everything that Dr. Blair was speaking about, it truly takes a team of folks to really make it successful. You know, there's data analytics, there's the transitions and knowing when patients are admitting and discharging from hospitals and quality screening metrics, and there's just so many pieces of it, and you have to work as a team um, with the data folks, as well as with your nurses and the staff in the clinic and the front desk and the physician. I mean, it really takes a full, it's, it takes a village to raise a, a child. It takes a team to take care of a Medicare Advantage population. So I think it's really important for mm -hmm. folks to have that support to really be successful with it because it can really be a challenge and very overwhelming if you're trying to go through and manage everything on your own and all of the data on your own, it can be very overwhelming. I agree 100%. And and uh, kind of going on with that, we need the infrastructure. Uh, I don't believe it can be done uh, by a physician alone um, or even a small group of physicians. To implement a whole plan for population health, what Amy said is spot on. It, it takes a village. I'd say it takes a village to raise a doctor. We need infrastructure. We need training. We need some data analytics. Most of us need a little bit of direction on how to translate the data and, and, and use the data even. That's what we need. We, we need that, uh, that help and that direction. Um, physicians are, are already wired to, to solve problems and we're, we're good at that. It's getting us to back up and look at the right problems and look at the problems in the right way that um, makes a difference. And, and it's, it's great. It's it's been fun. Well, it's it's kind of energizing, and so that's that's what I like about it. You, you both mention or uh, allude to to infrastructure, um, and, and that leads directly to my next question, which is, how can business and administrative leaders ease some of these challenges so that doctors can focus on uh, on delivering high quality care uh, to their patients? It's it's all goes back to providing the infrastructure. In, in many cases, uh, and, and probably case by case with, with each physician and kind of each physician personality, uh, some people may need a little bit more help with adapting and, and changing the way that they think and the way that they view things about the practice of medicine from day to day. But what I've seen happen is once we get them to kind of change that view to where we're we're seeing that it works and it's better, there's total buy-in. And, uh, and so businesses and administrative leaders need to provide the, the support, the training, the infrastructure, a uh, team. Um, we, we use population uh, health specialists 
that bring that data directly to the doctor's offices and uh, work with not only the physician, but also uh, with the rest of the staff, like Amy had mentioned earlier, from the front office staff to the medical assistants or nurses, um, whoever's working in the office, um, helping them all to learn to kind of change their focus and, uh, and get everybody moving in the right direction so that this can work. Yeah, I feel as an administrator, one of my number one goals is to make sure we provide the physicians with what they need so that they can take care of the patients. Uh, the patients are ultimately the highest priority of our group. And so my direct line to that is through physicians and the staff and the offices. So if we can take the enormous amount of data that's overwhelming and flooding with names and information and drill that down to here's five things you need or here's the 10 things you need and drill it down and make it so workable so that way it's manageable and usable for them so that they can be more productive in the office that ultimately leads to better outcomes for the patients. So I, I feel like our job is to really be there as resource and guidance and whatever is needed to help these doctors be successful and to really just give them the what they need to do their job so that that way we can take care of the patients there's usually a little bit of a disconnect between what most administrators would desire and what the physician thinks is needed. And so, you know, the, the, I think physicians often end up thinking that they care about the patient and they know what the patient needs. And the administrator is often a barrier to getting those things or getting access to the resources that they need. And what I've seen MA do, um, you know, opposite of that that kind of frustrating system is it, it aligns administration and the physician to the to kind of the same outcome um, which is better patient care improved quality and lower costs that's what we live for we want to do better for our patients that's why we're doctors and i think um, we need help knowing um, where to focus our resources. It's very easy to get real hung up on trying to figure out how to click the right button in an EHR um, to, to you know, satisfy some measure and, and uh, get you know, a, a, a MIPS measure taken care of or uh, you know, get the mammogram information put in the right part of the chart just so that it gets captured. And, and administration um, you know, in this model, um, it, it's to everybody's advantage for that to be easier. And so we kind of have a whole team of people even pushing for things like the EMR or EHR, I should say, to, uh, to work better for us and for the patients. Um, kind of went off on a rabbit trail, but it's just so important. I agree that the MA plans really do help us align our goals. I think that's one of the biggest design wonderfulness of the design of these plans is that they help us all point in the same direction to make sure that we're all rowing the same direction because I think ultimately nobody would go into healthcare if they didn't want the best for patients and so the fact that we can align all of our goals and the work together really is a it's a phenomenal thing that they've been able to create with these programs. You both mentioned alignment uh, which is crucial to uh, to Medicare Advantage but but to value-based care more generally uh, adding to that, uh, how do the flexibility, the community orientation, uh, provider resources, and, and quality measures afforded by MA plans help to 
create a starting place uh, for value-based care reform? Well, I would say that they're not just the ideal starting point. They are the starting point. We have started value-based care reform. Like it or not, uh, whether it was an intentional or, or not, I'm not sure, but MA has started that. It kind of goes a step further. We, we were just talking about aligning the, the providers and administration uh, because it, it's got us all focused on what the patient needs and doing better for our patient and our population and, and, and expanding the physician's view from, from one patient at a time to a whole population as well. But, but it's also kind of, if you look at it, it's got the payer thinking the same way. And, and what I really like about it as a physician is that, you know, the payer is, is helping administration help me to see what we need. And, and for the first time, I'm not walking around kind of in the back of my mind cussing payers all the time because, they, you know, it, it's, it's more easy to see that they're trying to help support us to get what the patient needs. Everybody does benefit. And, and so I, I guess kind of bringing that back down to what you were saying, um, how does the flexibility and, and community orientation, what else was it, provider resources and quality measures um, make these ideal? Um, well, it, it's that alignment for everybody uh, to, to see the problems and, and focus on solutions. Uh, you know, I think when you, you get that, that physician using that uh, kind of model to back, back up and see their population and, and think in that way, they start to see that there's a need for uh, all types of other things other than just what we, we think we do to bring value to the patient um, as a physician. It's not just going in the room and prescribing another medication. It's, it's thinking about them as a whole and, uh, and, and like what they need within the, the community and, um, and being flexible, learning how to, to get them what they need. One of uh, my favorite things about the transition to the value-based care models is the fact that we aren't looking for the cheapest care. We aren't looking for the person who has the most check marks. We're really looking at what is the best care for the patients. It's true value care. So what's going to give them the best um, value for the care they're getting and making sure they receive that highest quality of care. And so one of the things that the MA programs are really doing is they're really driving that model and they're really continuing to see these improvements in the value proposition. And we just continue to see more resources available for patients, more um, help, more access, whether it's the social determinants of health or, um, you know, things beyond just fixing my cough. It's much more beyond that. And I think it's really great to see how the MA model has really driven that force and hopefully we'll continue to see it expand. The thing that's really driving the physicians that so is that we're able to give them information. They're able to see who needs what. They're able to see more. They learn more about the specialists they're referring to um, across the board, everything that they're doing, the prescriptions that are being filled, everything they're getting, they get more information on that and know more about what's going on with their patients. And I think that allows them then, of course, to continue that better standard of care. I totally agree. And, and I think it's, it's important to think about j just the way that it all kind of, it just fits together well. Another thing I wanted to, to point out though, whenever we start talking about quality and cost, 
Uh, I've seen it in the faces of, of some other physicians whenever I talk to them from time to time. The minute I start talking about costs, you got to kind of be careful with that. Some people think that all you care about is, is saving another buck and getting started with that conversation it's probably just all about the way that you approach the person or the way that you start the conversation or get in, involved in it, but it's not at all about that. Um, yes, we, we want to save money and, and do better. And guess what? In this, in this program or this type of program, we all get to get paid a little bit better if we do that. And, you know, I, I think whenever you go back, uh, we're, we're getting physicians what they need to take care of patients better. And not only that, we're, we're training them beyond what they were trained in medical school to look at their population and help that, that whole population to do better. So, as you mentioned, Dr. Blair, uh, with, with regards to treating the whole patient, I'm wondering if, if you could please tell me a bit about how MA factors in the social determinants of health to, uh, to benefit beneficiaries? For me, and in my practice, and I think in, in many other physicians that I know, MA has really shown us firsthand that these social determinants of health matter and, and make an impact. At the end of the day, um, it, it's, it's pointed out to us, the, the big picture. We see that we need to get this patient in to meet these measures. We, we need to get them to their colonoscopy. We need to get them to their diabetic eye exam. We need to get them to their appointment to see us. And we missed their visit again. You know, they, they no showed or that, you know, whatnot um, today. And, and, and they, they ended up not seeing us. And, and guess what? We're, our quality uh, outcomes are tied to how the patient does. And so that um, kind of, the evolution is it, it automatically drives the doc. It drives me as the PCP to go back to my staff and, and get them to call them, not just mark them down as the no-show and charge them a fee for not being here and get back on the hamster wheel of running down the, the hall of the next patient. But instead to say, you know, call and find out what happened to Mr. So-and-so. Um, why didn't he show up? What's going on? Um, how can I help them to get them in? And, and then, you know, now I'm asking questions that I haven't asked before. And we find out that, you know, Mr. So-and-so always has his neighbor bring him and his neighbor is sick and, and he couldn't get here today and that's why he wasn't here. And, and guess what? He, he also doesn't have groceries today. These are things that we're learning. You have a team, hopefully, uh, of administrators that are there to help you. You have your population health specialist asking what they can help you do. Um, to, to get the patients taken care of. And, uh, and you're able to, to kind of start to get a conversation going about the fact that it, it's a transportation issue or it, it's an access to food issue. And you know, we've gotten to the point in, in a handful of cases where the, I've gone to people's houses um, or sent my staff to people's houses. Um, you, you know, before I didn't have time, I didn't know it would help. Um, now we, you know, it's kind of fun. Um, you feel good at the end of the day, whenever you go help the, the this person, um, that needs your help, uh, to overcome those barriers. We had a, um, couple who were patients and they, the, 
Mrs. had was planning to have a procedure and had to have some extra medications for her procedure. And um, we found the husband did not pick up his medication. And how we found out was from our reporting from our Medicare Advantage plan. And we called and found out the reason the husband did not get the medi his medication is because he had to pay for his wife's medication and had to get gas for their heat in the winter. And so our Medicare Advantage plan was able to pay for his medications so that he could then use his funds to pay for the heat for wife. So that way his wife could come home after the procedure and not have to go into a facility or anything of that nature. I think that speaks volumes of what type of services are out there and available and why it's so important to have those ready available for patients. I, I mean, I think that paying for medication may seem like you're just paying for the medication, but you're also offsetting expenses to help them to have food or helping them with food insecurities helps offset so they can have heat. Paying for, you know, so the, all these different programs help. And even if it's paying for a ride, that's still helping them so that they can manage other aspects because we do have to treat the patient as a whole and not just address their symptoms. And I think that these uh, extra programs really do benefit the patients and benefit the physicians so that they can then address the illnesses and the sicknesses because we're addressing everything else. So it's, it's just invaluable resources, I think, that they provide. CMS Administrator Seema Verma recently hinted that certain MA flexibilities, uh, such as telehealth uh, and some others related to, to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, may remain in place after the pandemic's passed. So I'm wondering, what are these changes and what are their benefits? I've been able to provide virtual visits for quite a while. Since I joined Privia, actually, we, we have access to a platform uh, that is uh, HIPAA compliant and secure so that we can meet all the, the guidelines uh, or, or I guess all the requirements to, uh, to be able to securely see a patient um, virtually. That was a very small portion of what I did and it was never covered by any Medicare uh, plan. So, so my elderly patients uh, didn't have access to this. Some of my insured ones uh, are commercially insured patients uh, did have access to it uh, if their insurer paid for it. Um, but it was a, a tiny portion of what I did every day. It's been really great that they've relaxed some of the, the HIPAA requirements so that whenever our, our virtual platform fails, because it is a little bit more technically involved than FaceTime or Google Duo, it's been great that we have access to be able to use those less secure platforms um, when they're absolutely necessary. Uh, without them, I, I, there are so many visits that just would not have happened uh, in the past few months. And, uh, and that's, that's really unacceptable. We've got these very complicated patients ha having a more difficult time getting to their providers. And, uh, and I'm worried about what will happen with them if they, if they can't get to us. But at the end of the day, I think that we've really tapped into something. Um, people are able to do it. I have more virtual visits with elderly people every day than I do um, you know, my commercially insured younger people now. And, um, and that, that's a, a huge testament. Um, so many of them, uh, need that access. We, we probably have a few more visits because it's easier for them to be able to get online and see me. Uh, they don't have to call their daughter or granddaughter or grandson or, or some neighbor to bring them to an appointment and put them through the, the 
stress of arranging all of that, they can just pick up their phone and see the doctor. I, I think well, I'm, I'm really excited to see this being discussed, that it may continue. Um, I think it really needs to. Uh, it, it shouldn't go away. Um, now, that doesn't mean that we're going to change everything forever. We, we still have to see patients in person. Um, and I think so long as physicians are responsible and care about their patients, um, leave it to us to decide when we have to see a patient in person and when a virtual visit will suffice. Um, but, you know, allowing um, or, or making it easier for patients and, and providers to have just one more way to get in touch with each other, um, to, to, to meet the requirements uh, of our medical boards and, and pharmacy laws and all to, to monitor a, a, prescri a, prescri a prescribed therapy um, and, and prove that we're, you know, document that we're continuing our physician-patient relationship while we provide their therapy, um, that, that can't be a bad thing. We, we need to keep it going. I think Dr. Blair is absolutely right. Um, you know, the COVID pandemic came on and hit and it forced us to do years worth of transition and change in a matter of days. And um, it ends up, it's a great change. And a lot of our patients really do like it. A lot of our physicians like it. A lot of, you know, people need it for not just now, but for other times in the future, I think there's gonna be a need for it. And now that we know that it's capable and able, I think there's nothing that could stop it from being done. And I think they should continue to cover it. I hope they do, I agree. Thank you both, uh, Dr. Blair and Amy. Uh, this has been wonderful. And I, I've really learned so much um, from your, your thoughtful, insightful responses. Um, you know, I, I wanna close uh, today's episode with an open-ended question. That being, what excites you the most about the future of Medicare Advantage? Medicare Advantage has made medicine a lot more exciting for me. And I think it will do that for, well, virtually every physician that participates as we go forward. It's, it's going to take time. And, and like we've talked about today, it's going to take a lot of of change, a lot of change in processes, a lot of change in the way that we think. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it's it's exciting and it's fun because we we're, we're fixing broken medicine. We've all been able to agree for a very long time that our our healthcare system needs help. And and as a provider and, and, and a worker in that system. I've also, whenever I've heard those things, it's broken or something like that. I've also always been a, a little bit hurt by that or, or maybe a little bit defensive about it because every day you go to work in that system and you do your very best to make it work. And, and you do, that's, that's what we do. We make it work every day. We've all been kind of uh, armchair quarterback type of, of people talking about the ways to fix healthcare. Um, and, and for, well, all my life, there's been talk about it. And, and just like with anything, there's a lot of talk and no action. We're on a new path where we have, well, I guess we're creating 
a path, uh, kind of charting uncharted territory. But um, this is uh, the path to the solution. Um, we're starting to solve problems in healthcare. We've identified the, the, some of the things that patients need, like the social uh, determinant of health uh, factor in healthcare. And uh, we've, we've started to um, tie patient outcomes and population outcomes to uh, physician pay. And, and that's a good thing. We're, we, we've, got our, we've, we've got their attention now. It, it's time to fix the problem. It's time to come up with solutions like we've already started to do. And, and I think that this is not just the future of healthcare, but it is the beginning of repairing many of the problems in healthcare. And, and that's pretty cool because we're not just sitting around whining about the problems anymore. We're working on them. I'm really excited about um, just the ideas of what comes next because, you know, in healthcare, nothing is static, nothing stays the same. And we are constantly learning and that's constantly driving change and we're constantly improving. And so, I, I mean, who knows where we'll be five years from now because I know five years ago, I didn't know where we'd be now, more or less to where we're going to be in the future. So. I think it's really exciting to see kind of what comes next. What do we learn next? What we put in place two, three years ago, we may learn next month some information that causes us to make a shift and to change something that was the best possible process, policy, whatever the case was two years ago. And next month we may end up having to shift that to improve it, to make it even better. And so I think just the amounts of stuff that we learn every day from the MA programs, and it just helps us drive all of our patient care across the board. So I'm really looking forward to what comes next. That concludes today's discussion of Medicare Advantage. Thanks again to Amy Atkins and Dr. Raymond Blair for coming on the podcast today. And a big thank you to you, uh, our listeners, as well. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on all things healthcare. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I'll see you next month for another episode of The Break Room. Stay tuned.